Sex, lies, and murder comes from Reels Channel. Reels fuels your real crime obsession with shocking originals like Jeffrey Dahmer, Killer Cannibal. It's not enough to dismember somebody. He wants more. And Ted Bundy, Serial Monster. He lays in really close, and then very quietly he says, I'm going to kill you. Go to Reels.com now to find Reels on cable, satellite, and streaming services. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. And now... Sex, lies, and murder. This is a huge case. This is something straight out of the National Enquirer. Jealous girlfriend murders new girlfriend and their high school kids. Two girls who had everything in front of them. All the girls wanted to be her and all the boys wanted to be with her. So many people knew this was building up. Hey, I'm going there to confront this girl because she's after my boyfriend and we're going to have it out in the street. It was just a, a fast, furious throwing of fists. And the problem with that is, is that she had a knife in one of those hands. How many 19-year-old little petite blonde women do you see on Murderer Row, Edo? Investigative reporter. I don't know how to describe Pinellas Park. It's, it doesn't have a great reputation. It's not like it's a bad part of town. It's a blue-collar community. It really is. M. William Phelps, crime writer and investigative journalist. This took place in middle-class America. A sunny, seaside, suburban community between high school kids... For most people, high school is a coming-of-age story. But for those involved in the case of Sarah Ludeman and Rachel Wade, their senior year was less like fast times at Ridgemont High and more like Scream. Lane DeGregory, journalist, Tampa Bay Times. Sarah's parents were a lot older. They'd waited like 16 years to have a kid. So she was their one and only. She was a total, like, daddy's girl, the light of his life. You know, he picked up at the bus stop. Her parents had both grown up and been married in New York, but when they decided they wouldn't have a child, they moved to Florida where it would be less dangerous. Sarah had never had a boyfriend at all. So here she's 18 years old. She's never had a date. You know, all her other friends have already lost their virginity, gone, you know, away with guys or whatever, and she'd never had a boy interested in her. According to Sarah Ludeman's friends, she first met Josh Camacho in the spring of 2008 during a chance encounter at a local fast food restaurant. She was cute. And he was sort of a rough guy. And she went, wow, me? He basically, like, came out and made eyes at her and winked at her, and she was, like, done. Like, oh, my God, this guy really, really likes me. For the teenage girl, that boyfriend at 18, 17, 
That's epic. That's an epic love story to the girl. Everything else does not matter in their life. It's just him. So he can do whatever he wants to her, and Josh certainly took advantage of that. She transferred high schools in her senior year to be at his high school. She was totally smitten with him. When they got to the high school, he sort of started ignoring her in front of his friends. Josh would never hold hands with Sarah in public. I look at this and I say, why was he embarrassed by her? Why did he not show his affection to her? It's like the grease, you know, like the, when summer loving is great, and then you get back to high school and they're like, I don't know who you are, you know. So she was heartbroken and kind of kept at him. Josh believed that, you know, I could have four or five girlfriends, you know, and I didn't have to love any one of them particularly. I just had to keep them all going. He really had a, a something about him that drew these women to him and, and a way of making them feel like they were special. As reported by Lane DeGregory, who spoke to almost all involved, at the time Josh Camacho was dating Sarah Ludeman, he was also dating two other women. He had a baby with one girl who he just called the baby mama. Then he had this, I'm going to sleep over Rachel's house thing because she had her own apartment. Sarah still lived at home with mom and dad and had a curfew. So he'd basically like hang out with Sarah till she had to go home to mom and dad and then go over and hitch up with Rachel for the night. Michael Lynch, detective. I think that he enjoyed that part of it, you know, seeing two people, you know, that interested in him. He kind of just got off on being the center of attention, basically. When I look at Sarah, you know, I see someone who's motivated to go to college, getting a degree, going on to a great job, having Thanksgiving with the family. And then we look at Rachel. By the time she hit 14, 15, she was like, you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. You know, so she basically started staying out all night, disobeying her parents with their curfews, not telling them where she was going. Rachel dropped out of school. She goes to work at a restaurant as a waitress. More than anything, she wanted to have her own apartment and her own car. So she got this job at Applebee's. Sarah saw a post on Rachel's MySpace. That was maybe the initial moment. After they discovered each other through social media and realized they were both dating Josh Camacho, the bad blood between Rachel and Sarah quickly escalated. Sent Tuesday, August 26th at 10.13 a.m. Please tell me, Sarah, why you would be a dumb to put a brand new picture of you and Josh at the beach on your MySpace. End of message. Multiple police records indicate that in 2008, there was a series of altercations between Josh, Rachel, Sarah, and another young woman who was the mother of Josh's baby. 
As matters progressed into 2009, Rachel and Sarah focused on each other, while the mother of Josh's baby attempted to free herself from the situation. It seemed like she knew she didn't have a claim on Josh, where the other two girls were both like, he's mine, no, he's mine. She's also got a baby to take care of at this point in time. She was kind of content to, like, let him see the baby. As documented in numerous text messages, voicemails, and social media postings, Sarah and Rachel's feud over Josh was public and directed at each other. Spent Friday, August 29th at 4.33 p.m. Hey, Sarah. It's Rachel. It's so funny how you talk and you want to sit there and say that my man was at your house? Then tell me what he was wearing tonight, Sarah. You're dumb for real. This left many to ask why their anger wasn't directed at Josh. They both knew Josh was cheating on him, that he was going with the other girl, that he was having sex with them. And they were both paying for him, for giving him food and taking him places. He didn't have a job. And yet they weren't mad at him. They were mad at each other. And that, that's baffling to me. Sarah, she was good looking, conservative, shy. She necessarily didn't want to go after boys. She was scared of that. Where with Rachel was kind of a street girl, right? Rough around the edges. For Rachel in this situation, Sarah became the one person that she could hang all of Josh's faults on. Rachel should be directing her rage toward Josh. He's the guy who's really doing this. But what does Rachel do? She hangs all of his faults on Sarah. Spent Wednesday, July 9th at 1.13 p.m. I'm letting you know now you're either going to get up or something of yours is so watch the out or answer your phone stop being a i remember being 18 and being in love and where i would have done anything in the world for this boy you know it changed everything but i don't understand still why they were mad at each other instead of at the guy even though they were mad at each other it's evident that both sarah and rachel did at least recognize josh was to blame on june 17th 2008 Rachel posted on her MySpace page, quote, You slept around, you hit me, and every time you said, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. You're a boy, I need a man. Despite musings of this nature, both Sarah and Rachel refused to leave Josh. Why doesn't she just walk away? She's in love with this guy. This is her first. This is that epic love story for the girl. She can't let it go. Friday, August 29th at 4.33 p.m. You keep playing games. You're a pathetic little and you're a little girl. Honestly, what the do you have that's going for you that Josh wants you over me for? I got a job, have my own place. What the Seriously? He can get anything he wants from me. Anything. Not to mention that I look probably ten times better than you. Rachel was very vocal about, you're uglier and fatter and stupider than me, and you don't have a car and you don't have a job. Why would he want you? You know, demeaning, demeaning to Sarah, saying, why would he want you when he's got me? 
Here it was a case of uh, she thought she stole her boyfriend and now they're going back and forth and, as the kids say, dissing each other. All their friends on both sides were like, he's not worth it. He's not worth it. Give him up. You can get other guys. You know, they were all trying to talk him out of both girls out of this relationship. Sent Tuesday, August 26th at 10, 13 a.m. Walked out your window when I get off work tonight, you dumb It wouldn't have happened in my generation, you know, without MySpace, without texts, without the ability to show all your friends and play that message again and again, it wouldn't have happened. High school kids have jealous fits. They call each other names, you know, on Facebook now or Twitter or on, on social media. They say all sorts of things, but it doesn't usually lead to murder. This is the tipping point in this where it becomes difficult to see what actually happened. We know that someone's going to die. How do we get there? For Sarah, like, he was her one and only forever and ever, and she felt like she was going to spend the rest of her life with him. And he made her feel that way, you know what I mean? I think for Rachel, it was more like, she can't have you, he's mine. It was more like a possession thing. Sent Wednesday, November 12th at... 7.47 p.m. Hey, Sarah. It's Rachel. I'm on my way to the park, and I'm sure you guys are probably walking since you're all broken. You don't have cars, and I know you need the exercise. I'm sure Josh is trying to send you out a little bit. Sarah's in the cafeteria crying about him, supposed to go see him that day. Rachel's at home crying about him, supposed to go see him that night. Each one of them thought that Josh was theirs, and they were going to hang on to it forever. They don't walk away from relationships like that. They both found out he'd lied to them about being with the other girl, again, like for the umpteenth time. And they start texting each other all of a sudden it's not just on myspace or, or on a voicemail it's like they, they're going to get in each other's proximity neither one of them was going to let go this was their man a guy they thought they would be with forever according to the initial police report in the days leading up to April 15, 2009, quote, the trash talking had escalated between the two women. Sarah drove her car by Rachel's apartment, allegedly, and made threats to her. Sarah does the right thing. She texts Josh. What does Josh do? Come on over. I'll make it all better. It's Josh who lights the wick on this powder keg. Babe, I'm so sorry. Listen, everything's going to be okay. Rachel had gone over to see uh, Sarah was over at Josh's house and that, you know, they were hanging out. So she knew that she was there. And there again, these messages are going back and forth between them. She was texting him. She was texting Josh. Oh, I know why you didn't come over to my house now because I see her in there with you. <sighs> Sent. 
Sunday, August 31st at 11.25 p.m. Why don't you come see Josh now, Sarah? Come see him now while I'm outside his house. I hear you. In a witness statement to police, Sarah Ludeman placed one of the phone calls on speaker mode and heard Rachel Wade say she would come to Sarah's house and stab her and her, quote, Mexican boyfriend. She's lashing out at him, but she still wants him back. It's hard to get into the mind of a high school girl. And I don't mean this to be sexist, but the high school girls show their emotions a lot more than the high school boys do. Involving the cops at this point isn't an option for them all because, of course, Josh knows that he's pushing the buttons. He's the puppet master here. You okay? Despite the documented threats, Rachel Wade left the scene sometime before 11 p.m., traveling a few blocks to the home of an ex-boyfriend. Did Rachel leave at that point telling herself, I'm going to come back and I'm really going to make a stand this time. I'm really going to show her who's the boss here in this situation. So Sarah's supposed to be home at um, 11 o'clock at night for her curfew. And she lives really close, like two blocks away from where she was with Josh. And her dad's texting her like, are you coming home? When are you coming home? So she knows her dad's waiting for her. She knows that Josh has been texting with Rachel. And she leaves. At a stop sign, another friend passes in the car and goes, guess who I just saw? Oh, my God, Rachel's right up the road. So all these things came together at, you know, midnight. See, what happens in these situations a lot is there's an internal rage. Some people call it a volcanic rage, and that rage has to come out somehow. It has to erupt at some point and just spill out, and we see that here. They each physically put themselves in the other's proximity that night. You know what I mean? I think that's what changed. Witnesses confirm that Sarah Ludeman drove towards the 9800 block on 52nd Street in Pinellas Park to confront Rachel Wade. Sarah was barely even out of the van. Here are the two girls rolling around on the ground, fighting and grabbing hair and calling each other names. And, you know, this is a barroom fight, if you will. Just this furious, you know, flailing of fists. Hands are just kind of flying everywhere. The problem with that is, is that she had a knife in one of those hands. That knife came out and someone was stabbed right in the heart. Sir, what's going on? There's been a stab in there. There's a fight in there. There's a stab in Someone was stabbed? Yes. She's on the floor. Who stabbed her? This was like the picture-perfect community, right? And here we have two teenagers brawling on the street of this white picket fence suburban American town. 
happened just after midnight and being the detective at the time, you were called in. So when something like that happened, uh, our patrol units would respond. They secure the scene uh, as best they can, and then, you know, we're notified. When police arrived on scene, the fight was over. Rachel Wade was being comforted by friends, and Sarah Ludeman had sustained two potentially fatal knife wounds. She stabbed her in the shoulder first and then went right for the heart. And she stumbled back into the van. And she calls Josh and says, it hurts. And then the phone went dead. He ran to Sarah's house, got Sarah's dad. By the time they get there, the paramedics are already there. There's blood all over the street. The worst possible scenario that I could ever imagine takes place. Sarah's dad shows up and sees his daughter there. To me, that has to be one of the most crushing moments ever. When I get there, all of the individuals that were involved in this were still on scene. Sarah had been transported to Northside Hospital at that point, so she had already been uh, taken from the scene, although there was still an area outside of the vehicle that she was driving that was, you know, covered in blood and some of her clothing. Rachel was still on the scene. She was sitting up at her friend's house. She was sitting outside up on, like, a bench that was outside of the house. What happens to a volcano after it erupts? Everything settles. And that's what happened here. She unleashed that rage. And then the dust settled. And she was like, it's over. It's finally over. She, during this time frame, was not what I would have envisioned as being um, upset or bothered by anything that was going on at this point. She was sitting there relatively calm and was quiet. Through talking to... The friends that were with Sarah on the scene got a little bit of an idea of what was going on, although not a clear picture, that this had been some sort of uh, triangle. You know, it kind of pitted the two girls against each other with Josh in the middle. Josh bolts. He runs away. The sad irony in it all, really, is that her problem, the one she perceived to be her problem, Sarah... That wasn't even her problem. Her problem was Josh. He put fuel on that fire. He essentially was telling both of these girls, I love you, I love you, sleep with me, sleep with me, and then wasn't there for either one of them when it all went down. When Sarah was hitting me, I went to hit her, and I really did not even stop her. I'm not trying, I'm not going to kill somebody. Tell me how it happened. She was hitting me, and when I went to hit her back, I had put one of my hands up, and I had, like, I tried to hit her back and keep my hands in front of me. I looked at a lot of her statements as kind of being self-serving. She put herself more as the victim than being, uh, you know, responsible for some of this. I did not mean to stab her at all. How many times did you stab her? I guess once. 
It's important to determine, is this a, a premeditated thought that, hey, I got this knife and I'm going to use it no matter what, or did I grab it out of, out of defense? Are you telling me that you had it for some form of protection? Yeah, because I know they're going to tell me. Was it something that you grabbed last minute? Did you grab it, you know, because you were being attacked? I had it out with Sarah out there hoping that she would just, like, walk away from me or see it and think that I was actually going to do something, and they both came after me. As an investigator, those are things that you're looking at and listening to as you're talking to somebody. I think that she was clearly trying to hide what happened. Do you know what my job is? I'm a homicide detective. Okay, they called me because of the serious nature of her injuries. Okay, she was stabbed. All right, she was stabbed twice because before I came here to talk to you, I went down and saw her at the hospital. That's something that, you know, I can kind of keep as a, as a card in my pocket, if you will, to disclose later on in an interview if I need to. The next piece of information that you need to know is that she is dead. as a result of these stab wounds that she had at Northside Hospital. Time with the TV series behind this podcast. How did your life go from being a housewife to participating in a murder? The pastor of the church having sex with another woman. Sex, lies, and murder. This is beyond dysfunctional. Now streaming free on Tubi with no fee and no subscription. By the time they got her to the hospital, she was gone. It was really, really sad. Wednesday, April 15th at 1 p.m. Yeah, Sarah, Daddy. I know you're not with us no more. I'm hoping somebody's listening to this phone. If you are, could you call me? My daughter was killed last night. I just want a little closure. Rachel certainly didn't value human life that night. If she did, she'd have never brought a knife. At 8.49 a.m. on April 15th, 2009... 18-year-old Rachel Wade was booked into the Pinellas County Jail on a charge of murder in the second degree for the death of Sarah Ludeman. The community was left with the task of unraveling how a high school love triangle could result in murder. The next morning, a photographer and I went to the scene, and there was still, you know, blood in the street. And then I came back and told my editor, and I was like, I want to do a deep dive on this story because there's a lot more to this going on. You don't expect that high school kids are going to be both victims and perps. 
It's that, that's unusual in a murder case. Pinellas Park is one of those places in the Tampa Bay area that's people live there for generations. You know, it's not a tourist place like the beaches. It's not old money with vacation homes. It's like people live in these little kind of modest houses and they stay. The connection of the school certainly, you know, does does play a role in this. The thing about Pinellas Park High School was several years earlier, a student shot a teacher at the school. So this was a school that had already had a traumatic event occur prior to this. The violence erupted when an assistant principal approached a student reportedly packing a weapon. Being a lifelong resident of Pinellas Park, Michael Lynch, the lead investigator in the case, not only attended the high school, but was in class in 1988 when two students carried out a school shooting. My brother was two years younger, so it was my senior year, his sophomore year, and we were in classrooms at the time. So this is pre-cell phones, pre-any of that, 1988, so like my uh, parents were flipping out and nobody knew you know, what was going on. You couldn't text your kid. You couldn't call him. Nothing, you know, so they just locked the school down. Everybody was locked in place where we were at. And then eventually they released us out. An assistant principal was murdered and two others suffered severe injuries. The shooters were captured after a standoff with police. The incident changed the community forever. We had a couple days off after it, you know, plus a weekend. Um, so when you went back to school, it was certainly a, a completely different atmosphere. People were kind of, you know, still in shock about what happened. Uh, there were bullet holes on the exterior of the school where the officers had exchanged gunfire. The first incident which took place at school was extremely traumatic. Students, teachers, parents, and I think they've gotten past that. And now another student murders another student at Pinellas Park High School. After it's over, we get into this quagmire of who is to blame. It was weird because, you know, it divided like a wedding, like Sarah's family and friends are all on this side and Rachel's family and friends are on that side. And they were all equally emotional and angry and devastated. Both Sarah's parents and Rachel's parents knew there was like bad blood between them, but neither one of them knew how bad it was. There's only one person to blame, and that's Rachel. Rachel Wade murdered Sarah. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't. My parents did not raise me that way. Okay, I know that, but you did not have any intention on stabbing her. Well, I truly don't know if Rachel meant to murder Sarah. I think she wanted to be a badass and show her who was the better woman or whatever. I don't know that she meant to actually murder her. Facing a charge of second degree murder, Rachel's defense immediately filed for a stand your ground hearing. The state of Florida passed a law saying that if you are in fear for your life 
someone is coming after you. And in true fear, if you murder that person, you're not guilty of murder. In Florida, you can have a defense of stand your ground, and it's a kind of like having a miniature trial, if you will. Uh, it's done in front of a judge um, that's usually overseeing the case, and the defense is allowed to present facts that they believe that would be relevant towards the stand your ground law. Stand your ground is weird in Florida, you know, and it gets just interpreted different ways in different cases. Under Florida law, Rachel Wade would have been permitted to use deadly force if she reasonably believed that such force was necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to herself. They had so much evidence that this animosity had been building for so long. They were worried she would get something very minimal, you know, like they could have given her time served. If Rachel Wade's stand-your-ground defense was accepted by the trial judge, she would not have faced any significant punishment for stabbing Sarah Ludeman. What's controversial is, does that give someone the right, when they're angry with somebody else and they get into a confrontation, to murder them? This Rachel Wade case is so significant to me because you, you have someone in Rachel Wade who, by all accounts, is not a killer. But she killed someone. And then you have the victim who, by all accounts, antagonized her killer. And then you have that third person, Josh, in the middle, who knew which buttons to push. It was undisputed that 18-year-old Rachel Wade stabbed her romantic rival, Sarah Ludeman, after a street fight over their mutual boyfriend, Josh Camacho. But Rachel's supporters maintained she was justified under Florida's unique self-defense law called Stand Your Ground. If they were to rule that, yeah, this is a Stand Your Ground case, ultimately the state would have dropped the charges um, because they can no longer pursue something after that if the judge has now ruled, you know, it's a Stand Your Ground case. Had Sarah known there was a knife involved, would she have gone after her? We want to know, did she go down to that fight with the knife in hand? Uh, or did she go down and start physically fighting and then run and go grab the knife? Did somebody hand it to her? It's not a pocket knife. It's not a knife that was lying on the ground somewhere. It's a knife that Rachel brought to this party. Sarah didn't have a weapon. And they argued that Rachel had premeditated because she put the knife in her purse before she left her apartment. It wasn't like she just grabbed something that was right there in the moment, you know. Premeditation can be you hadn't thought of killing someone and a second beforehand you think, I'm going to kill you. If she, in her mind, thought when she takes out the knife, I'm going to kill this person, that is premeditated. If she hadn't thought about it beforehand, she just had the knife, but she goes, I have a knife in my purse and I'm going to kill Sarah. If that's the first time that thought ever popped into her head, legally, that is the definition of premeditated murder. If Rachel Wade had brought the knife with the intent of harming Sarah Ludeman, then it could potentially negate her claim of self-defense. Rachel seems to always have trouble explaining why she grabbed the knife out of the drawer that night and took off with it. What was she planning when she picked that knife up out of that drawer, brought it into her car, and drove over there? What was she planning? To threaten or to kill? It wasn't even a big knife. It wasn't like a hunting knife or a bow knife. It was an Applebee's knife. 
it was an, a knife Rachel had taken from her job at Applebee's. So it's like the same knife you use to cut your baked potato. When you went back up to the house, what did you do with the knife once you had it? I threw it. Where? To, like, towards the neighbor's house. She threw the knife in a direction of the neighbor's house uh, on top of their roof. So once we had an idea of the direction of where she had thrown it, uh, we ended up going on the roof of that neighbor's house and found the knife. According to local media, Rachel's personal history may have played a role in her decision to obtain a knife prior to her confrontation with Sarah Ludeman. She had pulled a knife on her mother a few years earlier. Don't get it, Mom. Mom! One time, she's getting into an argument with her mother. She grabs a knife from the drawer. She doesn't go after her mother with it, but she runs into the bathroom with it. Just leave me alone. She grabbed that knife because in the past, she would use violence and often a knife to make a point. Back off or something's going to happen. I guarantee that night she grabbed that knife for the same reason. Not to kill, but to say, look, this is serious now. Back off. Although linking something like that to this case is certainly, you know, it's difficult to tie the two together. I mean, you have a heated domestic situation maybe with mom or she got out of control versus something like this. Rachel's the one who took the knife, brought it over there and stabbed her through the heart. Period. She's responsible for that murder. In her interview with police hours after Sarah Ludeman's death, Rachel Wade maintained that her decision to bring the knife was based on a fear of being assaulted by Josh Camacho and others. Josh has hit me before. Josh's brother's threatened to hit me before. Do you have a gun or anything else? Okay, so that was your form of protection. She didn't know necessarily that Sarah was going to drive up there. You know what I mean? That was random that night. So was she thinking that Sarah was going to come and get her? Or was she thinking she was going to go back and get Sarah later? I, I don't know. Rachel Wade's defense was bolstered by Sarah's actions. Witness statements and police reports clearly documented both Rachel Wade and Sarah Ludeman actively contributed to their feud over Josh Camacho. Their rivalry was often depicted using the term Mean Girls, which had been popularized by the Lindsay Lohan movie just five years earlier. Sarah and her friends would come to Applebee's and bully Rachel while she was working. They would come and sit in her section, and like when she was carrying a big heavy tray of food, they'd like bump into her or like block her weight. Really? They're both codependent on each other for this interaction, this chaos. They both need it for some reason. Do I think that Sarah was innocent in that part of it? No, she certainly was continuing that as well. And she, listen, ultimately came to that house at that point in time to have a confrontation with her. We, we never disputed that, and that certainly wasn't a dispute. Sarah wasn't coming into Rachel's house as a home invasion with a gun pointing it at Rachel. That's not what happened. What happened was Sarah threatened to beat her and Rachel chose at that point to take out a knife. Prosecutors pointed to a key piece of evidence, a recovered voicemail sent from Rachel Wade to Sarah Ludeman leading up to their confrontation. Sent Friday, August 29th at 4.33 p.m. Seriously, I told you to watch your back and not to show with him. 
Now you're mine, and I'm guaranteeing you I'm going to murder you. It was the words that she used and the way that it was directed at her. She actually used the words, I'm going to murder you. And that's kind of a twist on just saying, you know, some random out of the heat statement of I'm going to kill you for something you've done. The, using that term murder is certainly a, a very uh, strange uh, selection of wording, if you will. You're a fat and I'm going to kill you. I swear on my life. How many of us have ever said that out of anger to whoever, like, I'm going to kill you, you know, I, I, but she had it recorded on voicemail and it went on. That was the moment, I think, in the courtroom that everybody gasped when they played that voicemail of Rachel saying to Sarah, I'm going to murder you. And the whole courtroom went, <gasps> For Rachel, the rage took over, right? She's in what we call blind rage at this point. She has no control over what she's doing anymore. The words that you see are, might not be the true thoughts that they have. I mean, they say all sorts of things, mean things, crazy things. What are they really thinking? You don't know. Some people may look at that and say, well, that's what you did. This is premeditation. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as a teenager, jealous, that rage building up, and making a threat, hoping that the girl will actually back off. She was not in control of her emotions. She thought she was wrong. She was a tough girl, I think. And she wasn't going to put up with somebody stealing her man. But again, she was a kid. She was just, a, she was a kid, a stupid kid. Despite the controversial voicemails, under the Florida Stand Your Ground law, Rachel Wade would have been justified in killing Sarah Ludeman if she was in fear for her life. She was the one who came at Sarah. I mean, if Sarah had been up on the porch instead of still at the van, it might have been a different Stand Your Ground. I know we would have looked at things differently had Rachel remained in, in the yard or in the house and had been attacked uh, where they actually came onto the property or, you know, actually pursued her in some way. But when you walk from the safety of two friends in a home out into the street with a knife in your hand to now confront this individual, that's where it no longer becomes self-defense. Sarah didn't have a weapon. So maybe, maybe they were going to get into a fist fight. Maybe they were going to get into a wrestling match, a hair pulling match. Sarah didn't have a weapon harder to prove that she actually thought Sarah was going to kill her. And that's the bar that you have to cross to be able to use stand your ground. And I think that's why it failed. According to court records, Rachel Wade's stand your ground defense was rejected by her trial judge, leading to a trial by jury. Rachel Wade was convicted of second degree murder. And on September 3rd, 2010, she was sentenced to 27 years in prison. The jury heard all the evidence in this case and decided that it was murder. And for me, I have to go by the jury. During Rachel Wade's trial and sentencing, one person seemed to escape the tragedy unscathed. The source of the conflict, Josh Camacho. It was certain something that we spoke with the prosecutor about, which was, you know, what what can we charge him with? What is it that we can, you know, bring to the table? 
There was no physical evidence if he had, if they had a text saying, hey, if you loved me, you would beat her up. Did he have any culpable negligence in this where he was actively encouraged them or actually told Rachel, hey, you know, take a knife and stab her or, you know, fight it out to the death kind of thing. Look at me when I am talking. I think he fueled the fire with with uh, his attitude and all, but I don't think it would have been tough to charge him. You know, I mean, you can't charge someone for being a jerk. He never got charged with anything. There was no text message. There was no voicemail. I never saw any true remorse from him. I think he just viewed things as, hey, I didn't shove the knife in her, so, you know, I got nothing in this, basically. At the trial, when he came in, finally, and people got to see him in person, there was this collective, like, oh, like it was over that guy. Talking to you, you're driving. A high school kid murdering another high school kid? I mean, that just doesn't happen that often. Didn't hear Sex, Lies, and Murder comes from the Real Crime Addicts at Reels Channel. To find shocking originals like this on your TV, go to Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. And thanks for listening to Sex, Lies, and Murder.